Welcome to Asian Pop Nation, a show where we discuss all things Asian. Well, most things Asian. My name is Tracy, and I'm here to、uh, let you know what songs we're going to play. We started off the show today with "Algorithm" by Heejin. Heejin, of course, from Luna and Artemis. After that, you heard a B-side from the newest release by Kiss of Life. They had probably the best girl group debut of the year earlier this year, and they're back with a second mini album. Thank you so much for tuning into Asian Pop Nation tonight. I'll be joined by our team of Leisha, Lee, Zenia, and Ethan, and we're going to be doing a whole bunch of reviews. First off, me and Leisha are going to be reporting on a concert that we recently attended. Yes, I'm talking about the recent Twice concert at Marvel Stadium here in Melbourne. But before then, we're going to play some more songs. This first one coming up is Loco featuring Will and Jay with Broken iPhone. Now this show is going to be pretty heavy on Korean music. Later on in the night, we're going to be reviewing some recent K-pop mini albums. But speaking of Korean artists, me and Leisha recently attended a concert by the one and only girl group Twice. I'll cut right now to our review. Last week, me and Leisha were super, super, super lucky, and we were able to secure media passes to Twice's fifth world tour, ready to be. This was on Saturday, November the fourth. Previously, Twice actually performed in Melbourne on the sixth and seventh of May, and apparently Melbourne was so great that they came twice for an encore tour this time. What made this show different to the last shows that they did in May? First of all, they moved it to a new venue, so it was in Marvel Stadium, which is a bigger venue than last time. Another thing that made this concert extra special was that it was the first K-pop stadium concert to be ever held in Australia. Yeah, first K-pop stadium concert to ever be held in Australia. It's kind of crazy that we reach this, I guess, milestone point with K-pop as a whole genre. Kind of shows, I guess, how big it's become. Like, I literally just recently had a conversation with a friend who reminded me that BTS's like first and only concert in Melbourne was at the Melbourne Convention Center. Wow, the step up that the whole genre has had as a whole is just crazy to me. And again, the fact that it is twice the group they are the ones that have done it—it's amazing to me because K-pop girl groups, especially. Hardly seem to come down here to Australia in the first place. Given how successful their run was earlier in May across Australia, I guess it makes sense that they'll come back here one more time to do it in a big venue like Marvel Stadium. Oh my god! Like I've not been in that venue since my graduation. Yeah, I don't know about you, Tracy, but when I went to the venue initially, whoa! Like there were just so many people. It was just. It was insane. It was like a literal sea of people. There's a Chinese proverb which is like "ren shan ren hai," people mountain, people sea, and it really was just people mountain, people sea over there. Especially when the lights turned on at the end of the concert and everyone like streamed out in huge rivers of people. It was like kind of like a peaceful zombie apocalypse. But yeah, just for context, the weekend and Pink are performing at Marvel Stadium. So like these are the type of names that are doing these huge stadium venues. And now we have a K-pop group doing that as well, which is crazy. You know, I think it really does show, as Leisha said, that K-pop has hit the mainstream. Mm-hmm. Especially in like Australia, which like I feel like sometimes, especially in K-pop world, like Australia is just seen as like a An island that exists not on the world map—it's just yeah, not、yeah. easy there. So it's it's crazy. Everything to、yeah. me about this specific show was just like massive, big. When you get inside the venue itself and you have a seat, 
whoa, this time they actually had the light sticks. Um, yes, they had them at the merch stand. Yeah, so tons of people finally had like the light sticks, which were not the case for the last show. So this time, I don't know how light sticks work, but I'm presuming they have like a Bluetooth system that yes. lets them sync into some otherworldly system. And then during the concert and each performances, the light stick colors switch depending on the song, which when you're seeing it in such a massive venue like Marvel Stadium, it is crazy. Like sometimes I was just looking at the crowd and being like, yeah, same. whoa, everyone's light sticks are pink. This is crazy. And it's flashing. This sounds like nothing, but trust me, guys, when you see it in your eyes, it is like, like a free light show. Like it is... Crazy. It, it really is. You see all those videos of idol concerts in Asia and it's all these massive stadiums full of synchronized lights and this is what we saw. Like this is not a site I thought we'd be able to see in Australia. No, literally. Melbourne. Yeah, little old Melbourne, yeah. little old us. Yeah, I guess let's start talking about the specifics, the set list, the show and everything. For Tracy, this was like her first ever twice concert full stop for myself again this was my second time so for me it was more of like a like I was reliving a good time that I had back in May and it was like I'm being rewind back in time uh twice like they are to me just such good performers each member had like their own solo stages most of them were doing like covers specifically of other songs but a few of them like Cheong she did her own like solo guitar performance and Last time, back in May, she performed like her own song, which was called Nightmare, that nobody knew where this came from. Turns out that song is one of the songs of her solo album that came out this year in between the tour. So when she came back for this concert, Tracy already knew this was like my most anticipated performance was seeing her perform her title track, Killing Me Good, for the first time. And it did not disappoint. I screamed, I cried, I danced, I laughed. (laughs) I can confirm she was doing all these things (laughs) continuously throughout the concert, but especially whenever Jihyo flashed up on the screen. Yes, and especially at her performance. And I guess in terms of the set list, the difference between the May one and this one, like that was the main like difference was that Jin Young and Jihyo had different solo songs. Uh, but the rest of the set list is very much similar from the last time, but it's a solid set list. So I totally get why they're like, mm, this is good. We're keeping it that. But there were some like extra Marvel Stadium pizzazz, I find, like when they performed Talk That Talk. Whoa, that song in particular, Marvel Stadium amped up all those fireworks out of nowhere. And it was like them doing the final like dance part. And suddenly it's just Marvel Stadium fireworks in the back. And everyone was like, whoa, whoa oh they could do that. Like there's fireworks up there. It was sort of like the New Year's Eve fireworks. Yes, that you New see, Year's Eve, yeah. Like in Sydney, the Harbour Bridge. It was like that. Each member, I think, had five different costume changes. I was counting them back in my head afterwards and... Yeah, you could tell like so much work had been done to like make it like a tight, tight show with like minimal like lull and... No, literally, it was like constantly like we go, go, go. And like on that topic as well, it was kind of crazy because when the girls actually did their first two performances and then they did their introductions, I'm pretty sure a few of them mentioned that they were like, oh, like, by the way, guys, we're kind of tired. And then proceed to put the most professional, crazy performances of their life up until the concert ended. So I was like, 
So you guys are liars. <laughs> no. Yeah, that was Jisho. She was like, we're kind of tired, but you can't tell, right? And we, we couldn't tell. We, we no, didn't. it was like they were from May as opposed to now. It's like their performance level is exactly the same. And when they came in May, that was like, one of their first ever shows in that world tour. And this is like right at their end of their world tour. And they still have that equal level of energy and hype and interaction with the crowd. It was just, uh, these girls know how to get it done. Speaking <laughs> of crowd interactions, do you want to talk about Taohyun, designated English speaker? Oh my gosh, Taohyun! You're so cute, guys. She's so, uh, like, I can see why she is post-concert the member that most of my friends keep remembering about because she she knows how to hype the crowd very very well there's this one pop which was so impromptu out of nowhere she was all the way in the front of the catwalk by herself all the members were like chilling more in the back she was saying some stuff and in the end she was like oh right side you're clap all right left side cheer and then she kept going on and on for like a good full minute of just like Right side, left side. Contorting her body in different ways each time. The whole stadium was just like enraptured by her. She was super cute. Also at the end with Sana when they were doing the Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Oi, 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 oi. Oh, yeah. And like there was this whole thing where they were like, Melbourne, Melbourne, Melbourne. And no one knew how to respond. So it was like confused crowd noises. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. <laughs> they're like, the chant will work, right? We say Melbourne, they got something. And then us Melbourne crowd are like, oh. Melbourne. <laughs> <Question mark. laughs> I mean, Tracy, I wanted to ask because again, this was like your first twice concert. Yeah. Kind of like your overall thoughts of the concert as a whole, like, because this was like your first exposure to like mm. Bobo dancing to Beyonce <laughs> boom and then going to the yeah. whole dancing, Mina doing Seven Rings by Underground, like all this stuff. I guess Chongyun's cover of that Justin Timberlake song. It was some yeah. really cheesy song. Yeah, like can't can't stop the feeling. Yeah, that one. So the cute. troll song. I hate that song, but I loved her performance. She had like big nerd glasses on. She had this locking dance break in the middle, which half of them reenacted in the ment after. Oh, another thing that really stood out to me was how strong their set list was. They have so many good songs, especially like in the medley at the end. The they medley! Early songs like Cheer Up Baby. And they had all their third gen singles and it was just like, damn, they have so many hits. That no, know. yeah, that medley is like straight up a reminder of like, whoa, Twice really had like such a grip in, <laughs> in K-pop music, like for the longest time in their career. I was having the time of my life in that medley, Tracy knows. I was singing along to like everything. <laughs> Lisa knew like all the lyrics to every song, even the Korean lyrics. It was like actually crazy. Also, this one segment that I really remember, it was like a random play dance almost. Like they started playing songs and then the camera would like capture someone dancing to the choreo. And so all those fans really knew their stuff. Like, yeah, no, I love that. Crazy. It's my favorite thing of like the twice concert experience. It's that little moment where, yeah, they're like, showing the camera to the audience and everybody does a specific twice dance it's so fun to watch i love little crowd interactions like that in terms of like the fans as well i actually was really surprised that they did like a fan project and if you're not aware about what like fan projects are in this case fan projects for concerts outside of the concert realm they gather like a bunch of fans to make a video together just talking about how much they love the artists and all that stuff this one in particular the theme was revolving around the fact that twice were the first like k-pop group to perform in a stadium here in australia so a lot of the fans did their little videos being like congratulations but it was very cute and basically they would have like somebody else probably a big like fan organization 
compile it together and somehow in some way it ends up on like the screen in a twice concert and twice themselves are watching it in front of the audience that was so sweet i was not expecting that that would happen because i've only seen fan projects happen in like what korea and japan and it was just oh it was so cute Yeah, I think that's a good way to summarize it. Like, it felt like the sort of concert that you could only dream of happening in Asia. Like, the fact that they managed to bring all these very specifically K-pop experiences to Melbourne, Australia, for the fans here was really, really special. Twice, you're incredible. Oh my gosh. I would say come back again, but they already did. They already did. Like, yeah. Please rest well, girls. I guess, yeah, dear listeners, that was it for our little twice concert experience. If you went to the concert as well, you know, let us know some of your thoughts on our social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. That post-concert depression really be hitting right now. But next up, we're going to relive the moment where Alicia ascended into the fifth dimension by playing Jihyo's excellent solo track, Killing Me Good. You've just heard three bangers. Firstly, we played Killin' Me Good by Jihyo from Twice. After that, we played Vian featuring Flatshop with their song Free Drink from Vian's excellent album Hajima. And finally, we played Priya Ragu with One Way Ticket, another song from an excellent album. Now, a few weeks ago on Asian Pop Nation, we talked about the Japanese film festival, which has now just wrapped up in Melbourne. Me and Xenia both went to see movies at this festival, and I'll cut right now to Xenia to let you know our thoughts. Hello, 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 or konnichiwa, konbanwa. That was so cringe. Hello. <laughs> you might be wondering why I've decided to humiliate myself this way. I believe Tracy and I went yeah. to the Japanese Film Festival, which has been making the rounds around Australia, and stopped by in Melbourne, I think just a couple of weeks ago, sort of in end of October-ish, with a good mix of some old classic Japanese films, some recent Japanese films, horror, fantasy, anime, live action, drama, you name it. There was a little bit of everything for everyone. But yeah, Tracy and I were able to catch a couple of the flicks that were happening. Uh, Tracy, I believe you saw one of the classics, uh, yes. Temptations. I saw one of the free screenings of the Konagahira movies. We did mention this film festival, by the way, back in episode two of season four, back when Jessie was still with us um, before she departed. Did we mention what films we wanted to go see? I don't know, but I, th- I remember Jessie was really looking forward to this Gold Kingdom and Water Kingdom anime flick, which you ended up watching. I did, yes. I think it's a recent one. I remember going on the plane because I went back to the motherland of Philippines uh, about a month or two ago and I saw it on the plane and I was like, I already bought tickets to the Japanese film festival, so I ain't going to watch it here. So yes, Gold and Water Kingdom or Kinokuni Mizunokuni in Japanese is about, I think it's based on a manga. I'm pretty sure it is, but it was about these two rival kingdoms. They went into frequent wars but one day they decided that in order to quell all the fighting and the nation's leaders have to exchange the most beautiful girl from the gold kingdom with the most intelligent young man from the water kingdom to marry Uh, but then oh no um, both sides this particular year 
did not do the exchange. Instead, they sent a dog and a cat, which if word got out, a war would break out again. So the princess of the country, one of the countries from the Gold Kingdom, decides that she will, I don't know, I guess, <laughs> I don't want to spoil too much, but she meets this man from the neighboring kingdom, from the water kingdom. And they come to this elaborate scheme that they're going to pretend to be a married couple to protect the peace. Uh, and then, of course, they gradually fall in love. This is oh, the, it was so amazing. it's a romance. Oh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> then you choose a romance. <laughs> what? Oh, that's uh, so unlike her. But it was cute. And there was quite a lot of laughs. I think it's unexpectedly pretty comedic. And for a short movie, it condenses quite a bit of the romance. It could feel rushed, but it was actually a, a genuinely good watch. And I think paced itself pretty well, considering that it probably had a lot of content to cover. One of my favorite characters was <laughs> this girl okay so the gold kingdom is kind of like a playoff of the middle east and when any japanese like anime or manga tries to represent a country that's oh, not japan yes. the stereotypes just like soar through the roof you're like i should not be enjoying this but this is like just no take it with a grain of salt but this is definitely not what in reality the middle east is like or any other country that japan tends to emulate in the stories anyway one of the characters was a woman who um, serves the royal family and she wears a burqa. But she was honestly the funniest character in, in the in the film. So so yeah, that's that was one of the films that I watched. Um as Miss Romance Expert, how would you rate the romance progression in this movie? Hmm. I'd say it is Pretty fast because it's a movie, I suppose. You, you don't have to have that build up across various episodes with cliffhangers, misunderstandings, yada, yada. And it's romance that doesn't have any like love triangles. So it's very direct. You can see why they like each other. And it's almost like they never explicitly say really the I-L-Y, I love you. They just kind of become good friends and companions and sort of develop their love that way. So the strong foundation of like mutual respect and friendship so it's it's sweet in that way yeah not too dramatic um the other one i watched was called and yet you are so sweet i think it's called nanani chigarakun ga amasugiru but it was i think it's also based on a manga because it's giving me really strong shoujo romance vibes high school romance it's about this girl kisaragi she has confessed for the first time to a guy she liked but was rejected completely the guy thought she was a stalker and she vowed to never confess her love to anyone else again but then of course the most popular guy in school Chigirakun said why don't you pretend to fall in love with me classic romance trope and then as they you know get together and they pretend to be uh, she pretends to like have a crush on him of course she starts to heal her wounds and guess who she falls in love with who knows we'll never find out (laughs) anyway it, it was like, I've never really watched dramas or live action adaptations of shoujo manga before, but I kind of liked it. I think it's different seeing real people act like manga characters. It's, yeah, it's you cute. You went right where so many terrible manga adaptations have gone wrong. I think it's just that it, most of them are movies. So when you try and condense a series with, I think they're, they're attempted to be like several love triangles in this film none of them were really fleshed out to make you feel like they were a threat like most love triangles never feel like a threat to be honest but it was almost like love triangle up oh, goodbye it was just a second it was a fleeting second and then there's no there was no like ooh spicy 
moments because they had to move on to the next narrative beat. Yeah, it, it probably would have been more suited to a TV series format just by like the sheer pace of the romance. But if I was to pick film to rewatch again, mm-hmm. or that I'd recommend, probably Gold Kingdom, Water Kingdom. It was it was it was sweet, short, sweet, good anime. That's good to hear. Uh, how many heart eyes would you rate it out of five? Um, I'd probably rate Gold Kingdom, Water Kingdom a three. three okay, three and a half. Yeah, because five has to be out of this yeah. world and every okay. five has department. to mean something. Four has to be like this is pretty solid, but I think three and a half. You know, there, there was it was still pretty fast for a, a slow burner. I suppose I like the relationship a lot, but yeah, I think. It's something I'd probably end up reading and maybe enjoying a lot more because there'll be a bit more development. And then the second one, And Yet You Are So Sweet, probably like a three <laughs> or a two and a half. It's average. <laughs> okay. Um, thank you, Zenia, for those two reviews. I also watched a movie. I actually went out of the house for this festival. I watched another old movie from 1957 and it's called Temptation and it's directed by Ko Nakahira and they were doing like a little Ko Nakahira feature series over there um, for this festival where um, all these showings were free. We had to do bookings um, and they were showing like something, I think five or six of these movies. And this was the one I decided to watch because it was a romantic comedy. And I think people oftentimes with these old movies like to recommend movies that are like deep and serious, but Mm. I wanted to see something kind of light and fluffy. And this was definitely light and fluffy. It kind of felt a lot like a sitcom episode watching it. Um, I guess the two main characters would be this um, young woman, Hideko, who is like an artist, and her dad, who is like an art, uh, I guess like an art dealer called Chokichi. And um, there are basically various intrigues where like people fall in love with them, people think that they're falling in love with them. Like there are all these like, oh, are you in love with me? Or am I in love with, you know, there's all these like little like light silly rom-com sort of things um it's extremely light-hearted it's not nothing like mind-blowing plot wise um some there are some moments which are a bit dated i would say like one like one of the weirdest moments in the movie is like there's like this painter who is extremely slovenly and has lice he has lice this is one of his like defining character traits and there is this woman who works at um shokichi's like art gallery and she doesn't wear makeup this was an another one of her defining traits um, in the start of the movie. And she's kind of dour, standoffish uh, to customers. But anyway, like at one point, this slovenly painter comes into the art gallery and tells this receptionist to put some makeup on, woman. It will make you look way better. And because it's 1957, she takes his advice. And this is like a huge glow up moment for her. And then from that point, her character is like completely different. And she becomes like Miss like Salesperson number one and extremely um, different. But there are, I think in terms of like watching, this movie one of the things that stood out for me was just the quality of the sets was really good like these are some beautiful sets and the cinematography also is really nice and I think if you just like watching old movies because the fact that like they're old they're historical and they show these glimpses to like a different world I think you'll get a lot out of it because it's quite beautiful and yeah and like the plot is fine the plot is like a bit of silliness but it's 
I enjoyed it. I would probably rate it like a three and a half. Yeah, I, I, I didn't really know I was getting myself in for, but yeah. Would you say like, like how would you rate sort of the romance? Is it good for someone who likes tumultuous, turbulent? Um, the romance is, is barely romance. The romance is mostly yeah. just the most of the movie gets in its intrigue from like a certain ca- like certain characters being like, I'm in love with this person. And then that person misinterpreting their actions as something else or like oh this person is totally in love with me but then that person actually not being in love with them at all and they were misinterpreting their actions so it's like this comedy of errors situation it's not actually about like building to a satisfying romance at all really it's more comedy I think the rom-com the com part of rom-com takes precedence in this movie okay I will make note of that if I ever end up watching it yeah so those those are our thoughts on three of the movies uh, showing at the Japanese film festival uh this year um it was a really good festival uh i reckon really good really expanded selection compared to previous years right now the film festival has i think ended yeah it's ended everywhere it ended uh 5th of november was last apparently according to its website so i guess we'll wait till next year but we look forward to it with bated breath I hope you enjoyed our little review of some of the films we've watched at the Japanese Film Festival. But before hopping back onto the K-pop train next segment, we're going to be keeping with the Japanese theme for the next couple songs. First off, we'll be starting off with a track from a band consisting of a vocalist called Yama, a producer called T, and an illustrator called Tomato. They're called Bin or B-I-N and this is their song Hollow. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation, Sin's resident show for Asian music and Asian pop culture. My name is Tracy, and tonight I'm filling in for our usual EP, Jesse, who is usually the one who tells you what songs we're playing on the show. Speaking of which, the song you've just heard is Buyagai, or Don't Change, by indie Taiwanese artist Liu Koi, and before that we played two Japanese tracks. Firstly, we played Hollow by Bin, and we followed this with Utatane by Lena. Next up on the show, we'll be returning to our old stomping grounds, which is K-pop reviews. First up, we'll be discussing the distressingly titled B-side, The Rizness, of the new Taemin mini album, followed by a discussion on another similarly, I guess, polarizing track, which is Ives' Baddie. Do we think it's goodie or baddie? I guess you'll have to find out. Um, there's been quite a few, like, recent K-pop releases have come out, and we, the K-popies here on APN, you know, we have, like, a couple of thoughts here and there about certain albums, certain, like, artists' comebacks that we just, like, like, we want to talk about it on the show, but they just... I, I don't know, just didn't feel like a was like the right time to talk about it for the week, or just, like, not enough substance for it to be an own thing. So... We decided to just mash it all up. So enjoy this very chaotic little mashup. And I'm going to talk about my song and album that I want to talk about. I would say it's probably one of the recent ones in this list. Taman's Comeback Guilty, the fourth mini album. B-U-I-L-T-Y. Yeah, guilty. If Jessie was here, she would have something to say about the choreography because she has already in our group chats about this Taman comeback and the his choreo for that title track. Ha ha. I specifically wanted to talk about this 
um new work of his because i'm personally someone who's actually quite a fan of taemin's b-sides i i have such an attachment to his first album, album the present album i re-listened to that like no tomorrow in current 2023 days and that album came out like ages ago and it has a grip on me still so i was really looking forward to this comeback look i'll be very honest overall this like album as a whole to me was a little bit more on the the tame and end of his like discography and I, I felt like it didn't hit the notes that i wanted it to go specifically with this work i quite like guilty and then i guess i was hoping the rest of the album would not necessarily go in the same vibe as guilty because i don't think any of these albums like have that same continuity as like the title track but i don't know i don't know i guess like, my expectations were high because i really like his b-sides but this time it was a little bit more chill for me um again yeah. i re- i quite like guilty but there's one b-side i wanted to talk about which shocked me <laughs> titled the Rizness. Yes. Dun, dun, dun. Now, yeah. what the heck were they going for with that title? The Not Rizness. The Riz. The Riz would be bad enough, but they called it the Rizness. Rizness. Uh, yeah. Least favorite word, Riz. <laughs> yeah, the Rizness. I I feel like SM lately, they've hired some new like social media people in their company because they love to use all these new cool hip words in all of their groups comebacks that was like one time tracy sent a message privately to like ethan and myself about rises like season greetings thing and yep. it literally was like <laughs> wig cool <laughs> like, lit wig and i was like oh <laughs> someone picked up like a thesaurus but it was just like a tiktok slang. yeah tiktok slang and lingo and it transferred to Taman. No, <laughs> it's <laughs> contagious. He's the most unexpected artist. Like he's the artist I would expect the least to have a song titled "The Rizness" in his discography ever. Like this guy is K-pop he's a veteran artist. He's a veteran, and yeah. he's got the Rizness. And you think like, <laughs> oh, you, like maybe in your head you're like, oh, maybe it's just like the title. Like maybe he just doesn't say it in the song. No, guys, it's in the chorus. He start. You play the song. It automatically starts with him saying, "You know, I got the riz, the rizness," and then insert Korean lyrics here, and then says the rizness again, and that's the chorus. So you hear this over and over again. Initially, when this just came out, I was really like, "What does this song mean? Why is he saying rizness? What's going on?" From my understanding, since this album's come out like a few days now. The general vibe is him just talking about his individuality and I guess it's supposed to be like a confident anthem type of thing. And the Rizness is supposed to imply TBH, I don't know what, but I think well, the I, <laughs> I think you gotta be hella confident to name one of your songs the Rizness and perform it on shows yes well dressed as an alien yes he has actually yeah he did pick this song as a music show thing i did remember yeah, that like a oh promoted b-side mm-hmm. there's this one performance of him with like prosthetics on that make him look like an alien and he's performing this song it does sound kind of alien like it has that weird like do you sort of vibe to it. Dun, dun. yeah like the production of this song is actually like i it's like quite good which is why i can't as much as I diss this song, it's probably the one B-side album I have replayed the most besides the title track. It's the one that it gets people talking, you know? And I guess that's kind of the the point of it. 
um, at the end of the day. So, you know, maybe the marketing team slayed a little, but not in the way that they expected it to. Yeah. Um, I've been but- playing Not Over You, which is kind of nondescript, but kind of un- inoffensive. Um, I feel like track three, She Loves Me, She Loves Me Not, feels like something that could be on an Esper album. And then Not Over You and Night Way, kind of when I first heard them, I was like, these are Kai songs. Like, these are Kai songs. So this middle run, it doesn't feel very taming, but I guess that it's made up for by the fact that the Guilty music video and the whole concept is very well done. There's this very good breakdown of it on Soul Beats, the website, if you are really into like texture, like analyses of music videos. There's a very in-depth, super in-depth analysis. But um, we should move on to the Ive album. I I don't know. We have opinions about this Ive album. And like the comeback as a whole, yes. Everyone's been talking about Baddie. Apparently people hate Baddie. I don't know why, because I love Baddie. I think Baddie's a great song. I love it way better than the um, song where Won Young dives off that plane wing. Like, I think it's so good, Baddie. Um, I just, I like minimalist hip-hop. I think it does it well. It's been doing very well in the charts and people are not liking that. Tracy liking Baddie is a big win for the IVE community, but more specifically for me, because Leisha does not like Baddie. <laughs> now she is in the minority. <laughs> this is true. I feel like IVE discographies, we have been very divided throughout the year, like this year about it. Like when Kitsch came out, I literally remember me and Ethan like in the Sin studio and Jesse in the middle of <laughs> and in the middle of this. And me and Ethan like, I love Kitsch. I hate Kitsch. And then um, now we're here with Batty. And now it's a divide. But this time Tracy is in the mix. And yeah, sorry. I'm not I'm not a fan of Batty. I appreciate the music video. Music video is very cool. I like the I like the beats. <laughs> I like the beats, but I just, yeah, I don't know. I think in my head, I still associate Ive with this more, like, not necessarily, like, elegant concept, but I feel like their past works have leaned into that sort of vibe, and then I feel like this was their, I guess, their moment to show, like, their their diversity out of that concept that they've done. Um, And for me, just personally, it did not land. I just like the music. The music's a lot of fun. It's very different. I've noticed that ever since 2019, I really like musics that are like, I'm not like the others. I break all the rules. You can't tell me what to do, which is like what Itzy was for a long time until they didn't do that anymore. Um, Yeah, so I feel like I was like a spiritual predecessor to that in the sense of like a lot of the music has like the... There's that one song in the album where there's like, I got no time, I can do what I like, and don't tell me what to do, like that stuff like that. It was like really, it's it's really like, is chic the word? I don't know. It's just like a lot of oh, fun. Yeah, I like chic better than the word that they have been throwing about around, which is chabolcore. I hate that description so much. Chabolcore. Oh, oh my god. What is that word? <laughs> it's, uh, no, chable crush is the is the phrase that they've been using. Chable crush, like chab, like you know those rich people who oh, are from those like families oh, that are like, like K drama, like the word I hear in K dramas and yeah. stuff. Yes, chable. Yes. Yeah, chic is a good word. That's definitely their concept, and I guess baddie is more trying to go for like that hard edge where badass sort of thing. And I think in performances, people have been saying they don't really pull it off because they're like they're not hip hop enough for it. Uh, but the rest of the album is very, very soft, very, very melodic, and I think fits lots well with what they've released in the past. Ethan. I mean, I, I think so. This is very like the B sides are very like on theme of what like I've has put out previously. Okay, to be fair, I'd, I think Baddie's my least favorite song on that mini album. 
it's like it's it's interesting but i like i feel like it's a uh, like kitsch did it better didn't they i think kitsch is kind of the standard i feel like in this album specifically i think holy moly is a better version of what baddie tries to be like it's um oh holy moly is my favorite song yeah there. holy moly is really good it's oh. like is really interesting. I don't really know why they chose Baddie to be like the one that they promote. Like, I feel like they should have done Off the Record and Holy Moly. <gasps> off the good. Record! That's my favorite yeah, song off the in the good. album. I like that song. Oh, as well. Off the Record is their Cupid, uh, their like Cupid by 50 50 sounds alike song, which every single good group needs to have on their album. Yeah, it's not a bad one. It's not a bad sounds alike. No, it's cute. I really, I really like it. That one's good. Just can't get over Batty. I just, I don't know why. It's just the chorus is like, I think maybe a part of me also just doesn't, I'm not a super big fan of like, I guess choruses where they're like t- talking more. Like, like I, I don't know how to explain it. More talking, singing in the chorus part as opposed to like, I guess, uh, singing like, whoa, like big chorus moment. I don't know. Maybe the minimal vibe is not my thing. IDK. I don't know. I feel like I was just doing really interesting things with their songs and their soundtracks and i think that's really k-pop needs that that last song you just heard was incubator by ph1 it really brings me back to vince staples big fish theory album but before that you heard esper's newest title track drama from their new fourth mini album and before that another song from a fourth mini album taemin's guilty and speaking of guilty i guess next up we're going to be talking about p nation a company which has perhaps been guilty in the past of impacting the music quality of the artists signed to their label me and Leisha are going to be talking through the newest releases from jesse and hyana who recently left p nation we're also going to be touching on the latest comebacks from hwasa and sm boy group wavy so stay tuned for that I just thought it was very interesting seeing the uh, out of P Nation girlies, Jesse and Hyuna, come back. These artists have had so many like news and stuff surrounding them in terms of being like in or being out of P Nation, which if you don't know, P Nation is the company that Psy is the main man running it. And in terms of like Jesse and Hyuna, it kind of became like big news moment when they left because I guess at the time they were kind of seen as some of the big faces of that company. And now they're off separately, independently releasing their own stuff. And I just thought it was very interesting. Jesse's comeback, which is the song titled Gum, I feel like everything about it to me is like, oh, this is still like on brand completely to what she's already been doing in the past, which is music that I'm personally not into, but is very catchy on TikTok. That's the genre I'll say it is. And then with Yana, she hasn't had a full official like comeback, but she has been like teasing with this new song, Attention, which has like a performance video and everything. And to me, it's so crazy to see how like, again, in Jessie's case, it feels like she's still kind of going in that route of the genre and sound that I guess in Korea, what made her really big, that Nunu Nana type of thing. And Hyuna has gone like avant-garde art type of route. Like 
Yeah, she signs with a company called At Area, which her former fiance are they still former? Anyway, Dawn is signed to that same company, and he released an EP with them mm. earlier this year, which was actually probably his best music so far. Ooh. And they're more known for being like you think of like an indie R and B sort of. Um, they're not like a pop star agency. They're more in the vein of like AOMG high music type of things. I see. Got, like, Gemini and Groovy Room and artists like that who are more like R and B hip hop. I see. Yeah, because no, I saw that like Hyuna again. Just have like Hyuna attitude on the interwebs, and you'll see this performance video that she does. It is her, but it's also like whoa, kind of in a in this artsy manner that I've never seen before from her. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so. It looks really good. It looks like they had some really good creative direction behind. No, yeah, and a lot of. Also, Mirani oh. is under this company, and I played like three songs from her album. <laughs> it was really good. Oh, and also, fun fact, Tracy, this attitude song is composed and arranged by Groovy Rube and stuff. So that's okay. makes sense. We're in that realm. But yeah, I was just like, ooh, it's just so interesting out there. And then Hwasa's comeback, which was. Oh, it's like, I love my body. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hwasa um, from Mamamoo uh, used to be signed to a company called Rainbow Bridge World. She's now left that company. She renewed with them, I think, once, and then she left in the second renewals. And now she's signed to P Nation. Um, I guess P Nation has a thing for like strong, independent like women in music, and Hwasa fits that bill really well. But the problem is that Hwasa in the past has released really good music under RBW, her previous company, and this new song she's released under P Nation is not good. Um, so fans are disappointed about that. Yeah, you said it. <laughs> you summed it up like that. Because I like that song <laughs> she did with like Loco, that one song where they're in like a nice lounge area and they're singing live together. <laughs> and Loco can't look her in the eye because he's like so nervous. And yeah. that was a song that like put her on the map. It kind of went viral because of, I think, their dynamic is really funny yeah and it also has like maria like ooh, that's a classic and then yeah she signs the p nation she's the new p nation girly and she comes out with i love my body which is look the, the message is cute but the song is <gasps> it sounds like a megan trainer song in a bad way yeah i think that is the general consensus that like i've seen everywhere the key message is to get out p nation just <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure there's more projects to come. I just, I'm sorry. Every time an artist is in P Nation, I'm shaking in fear because the music that comes out from that company when Hyona was in there, I was shivering. <laughs> I was shivering. And now that she's out, I'm jumping for joy because this is crazy. I'm just thinking back, but Hwasa, she has this single album called Guilty Pleasure and all three of those songs are really good and I still listen to it like every now and again. So Hwasa, good music. I hope she comes back to us soon. <gasps> the Wavy album, which I've heard this album. I have strong thoughts about Wavy because I used to be obsessed with them and I like them very much as a group, their group dynamic. Their music has had its ups and downs for me. All My Youth is their most recent comeback in a while. I think it's been like a year because SM refuses to give them comebacks. SM, with their treatment of Chinese idols, is very, uh, let's just say, not so great. <laughs> yeah, they have a really bad track record. But this album specifically, it's called On My Youth, and it's a full album. It's like nine songs, and some of these songs are really enjoyable. Like, I really like Pop and Love, which we played on the show last week. Yes! Um, the title track is On My Youth, and On My Youth is an interesting song. I kind of flat out hated it at first, but now I think I like it. 
I know why they chose it as a title track because it really is an impactful song. So let me set the scene. It starts with Xiao Jun with his melodramatic quivering voice doing a melodramatic opening verse. And it's this beautifully like has all these arpeggios, descending chord progression, sort of second gen vibes, like exquisite sadness. And then it comes into the chorus and then suddenly there's like a clean break and the chorus is, blame it on my youth. It's, it's like this let's like let's party sort of chorus. It's like this beautiful like build up to something and then the chorus is a big old psych like musically and lyrically it's just a big psych moment. Yeah. So the verses are all like I'm so sad because you left me. I'm so sad. And then the chorus if you read between the lines it's like I'm so sad I left you because I treated you badly but it's not my fault. You can blame it on my youth. It's someone not taking responsibility naive. for their actions, which is, it's an F-boy anthem. What can I say? <laughs> so at first, just the contrasting vibes between the beautiful verses and this like party chorus was really off-putting to me. Like I did not like it. It is a little Kevin Ewan anthem, isn't it? This one. Yeah. With Tracy's reenactment of the song, I wish I could say that Tracy was exaggerating. No, that was flat out how it sounded like when I heard the song for the first time too. Just that chorus. I'm still on the hate train right now with this title track because I love the verses. I think the bridge is incredible. Oh, the bridge is exquisite. The bridge like, is... When... The verses, when I hit play, I was like, oh my God, this is giving me like infinite valid yes. type of songs like the second gen type of like heartbreak got seven if you do like that sort of vibe and then the chorus hits and i'm like sm i'm knocking at your door <laughs> because you are pissing me off there's a strike two for me with this company I think now I kind of get it. Like, I'm not thinking of the lyrics as much when I listen to it now. As you come to expect the chorus, it becomes less grating. But I still wish it was a different chorus. I, I will yeah. say, Xiao Jun vocals all over this album, beautiful, wonderful, stunning, exquisite. He, like, ad-libs all over this entire thing. He's good. But, Lisha, you said this is strike two for you in terms of SM. What was strike one? Was that oh, business? Th oh, no, that was business, yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> that was my genuine shock hearing business for the first time, yes. <laughs> I'm very scared for my SM girlies, Espa and Red Velvet, oh. because if they're doing this with the current releases, including Mr. Rise. Talk sexy. Don't talk sexy. I'm very scared for the girls, but I think they're safe for now. This company is putting me through hell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so SM has certainly been putting out some cool and hip song titles lately. But next up, we're going to be playing the song that Leisha and I just discussed, Wavy's On My Youth. We're going to be playing the Chinese version of this song because I think this song is better when you're not listening to the English lyrics. The Chinese lyrics focus more on the feeling of regret. As I mentioned in the segment, I've really come around to this song lately, especially the way the verse melody is overlaid on top of the final chorus and the way the strings come in as well. Apparently that was Kun's idea. He mentioned it to the arrangers and it really makes the song go into more of that sad, regretful territory that the Chinese lyrics portray. Let us know whether or not you think this song is a yay or a nay, I guess. <laughs> Asian Pop Nation on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. But without further ado, here is Wavy with On My Youth. Thank you. 
Hello, you're tuned in to Asian Pop Nation, a show on Sin where we talk about Asian things and play Asian music. Speaking of which, we've just played three songs by Asian artists. Firstly, we played Wavy's On My Youth. This was followed by Sophie Wang featuring Yellow with their song Race of Faith. And lastly, you heard Shasha Tirupati featuring Elephant Jim with their song Chalea. This is actually a really interesting collaboration. Elephant Jim is a math rock band from Taiwan, which we've played on the show before. And Shasha is a Canadian Indian playback singer. I recently just learned what a playback singer is. They're someone who mainly records songs to be mimed in Bollywood movies. Anyway, before I play the next segment, I need to provide some context. So on last week's show, we discussed a recent news story where an Australian woman was cancelled and then uncancelled for opening up an Australian-style sushi store restaurant in New York City. And the most surprising thing about this new story was actually the fact that sushi hand rolls are apparently an Australian-specific thing. This revelation led us down the path of researching diasporic foods, so basically foods that people think of as originating in Asia but were actually created by Asian immigrants living in other countries outside of Asia. If that sounds confusing, I promise it isn't when you actually listen to the segment. When we were looking through this news off air, something that our dear EP, Jesse, we miss you, brought up was like other types of like westernized versions of Asian food that personally for us are kind of surprising. Because for us, like hand rolls and stuff, it's surprising to the rest of the world. But for us, this is like so normal. But I guess we wanted to go down a little small list of westernized versions of Asian food that at least for us, we think are very odd. I think the biggest outlier here um, that if Jessie was here, she would hardcore agree right now is British Chinese food, yeah. which had a big trend moment. I want to say back in like May or something at the start of this year. So many TikTok videos of people posting their like, here's what I'm having. I'm having a Chinese is what they would say. <laughs> <laughs> we have all the photos here and everything for us to see. But for you, dear listener, please, I implore you to Google it sometime. But essentially, there's 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 like two big outliers here when it comes to British Chinese food. A, they always have a curry sauce of some kind that goes yeah. over everything. And it's not like, it's not a curry. Like when you think about curry sauce, it's not like a traditional Indian curry, nor like a Japanese curry or a Thai curry. It is like its own entity entirely. Yeah, um, it's more like a gravy, I think. Yeah, yeah. It looks kind of like a gravy. That is quintessential in any like Chinese takeout spot in the UK. And not only that, chips, yeah. <laughs> like fries are like a big thing. <laughs> so in all of these videos, they'll have like this person unbox everything and it'll be like fried rice and noodles and they put it all together in one plate, which I remember Jesse saying this was very weird for her to see <laughs> everything being put together. Um, It'll be like the noodles, the fried rice, and you're like, oh, okay. And then chips out of nowhere. And then rip open this curry sauce and they'll drench it on everything. That's the feast. This is this is crazy. <laughs> like this is this is so interesting. Yes, yeah, so interesting. Um, this British Chinese fusion. Yeah. I, I think the curry sauce is the one that really like throws me off on a whim. And I've tried to Google what is a curry sauce, like what are the ingredients that goes into it. Um 
And from some of these websites, it's basically like they add curry powder, but they also add Chinese five spice and soy sauce and stock and like cornstarch and all the shenanigans all together. So it is really like a double fusion. Yeah, I want to try that. Like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it like it's kind of good. I yeah, don't like know. it sounds good because I know maybe they're on to something. Yeah, <laughs> maybe we're too harsh on them. Um, and another one's the whole thing of like a California roll, which, yeah. from my understanding, is very American <laughs> type yeah. of Japanese food. You see, it, like everywhere in Japanese places, and I feel like sometimes in restaurants here, in like Japanese restaurants here, they sometimes have it in the menu. It's like a cheeky little. Ooh, look mm. at this exotic thing we have, and it's a California roll. Yeah. What, what yeah. do you think about the California roll? I have never tried it, actually. <gasps> yeah. It's so, it's like a reverse sushi with rice on the outside. And yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. With a yeah. crab in the middle with avocado. Mm, yeah, 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 yeah. It looks right in. It's, it's like, it looks like it will, would actually be good, but I think it's just like not in my comfort zone of what I think of when I think about sushi, you know, and that's what trips me up. And then this one I put down personally because mm-hmm. this is also in the realm of American, um, like Chinese. This one is more like Chinese American food. And yeah. it is crab rangu. I think Lee, you might despise this because yeah, the cream cheese. <laughs> yes, it's I... basically crab, and I, I think it's imitation crab meat with cream cheese inside a wonton wrapper and then deep that's fried. fried. And I watched. So- yeah. Okay. Here's the thing. <laughs> I didn't know this was American Chinese. I watched someone. I was like, wait, this kind of looks like dumplings, but I thought it was like an Italian thing. And then he deep fried it. And I was like, what is going on? <laughs> and then no, and like before he deep fried it, he put cream cheese in it. But now I know that it's American Chinese. It actually makes so much more sense. Yes. Yes. No, I, I see what you mean if i saw like just the flat pastry and and they're putting all these things i would have also thought like oh yeah this is like a pasta yeah yeah but no these are like big in america from my understanding this is like you know what we talked about how british chinese food has like the chips and the curry sauce are like quintessential i think like crab and goose are like quintessential american like you Mm. order takeaway from a chinese restaurant this is what is gonna be there yeah and a um, a fortune cookie lol yeah, and a fortune cookie as well. <laughs> that is and a, American. And a General Souls chicken, an orange chicken, all these mm. American things. And they all will come in that little takeaway white box thing that you only see in American TV shows when they're ordering Chinese takeout. Yeah, but crab and goose, I know. <laughs> this one's a big no for me, chief. This one, this one's more, this was my culture shock moment when I came here to Australia for the first time and realized you guys had like dim sims which I thought was just people saying dim sum the whole time but my mom and I would be like oh you guys don't know what you're actually saying you're trying to say dim sum and then I quickly realized from like some school friends I had at the time that oh dim sims are like a whole thing of their own entirely um yeah no I just the longest time I just thought y'all were saying dim sum like wrong (laughs) and I was just like Oh, oh, silly Australian people. <laughs> they don't know what real Chinese food is. And then I was like, oh, this is like this is like an Australian thing. <laughs> yeah. I used to get this at the canteen in high school. 
and I don't know. I don't know. Like I don't. I don't even know. Like I just whipped up. I just whipped up the wiki like for Dim Sim, and it's like everything makes sense now. Because I was like, why does this look so weird and not like a siumai, which is what it's supposed to be? But I ate it anyways. But I, like from like just just now, I look at this Wikipedia page, and it's your mind is being blown. Yeah, what? It's, no, it's oh crazy. A Chinese immigrant. In Melbourne, and, and the they commercialize this whole thing, and boom, ta-da! It's like a huge sumai cylinder. It's, it's so weird. It's crazy to me. I can um, and apparently it's like presented on an ABC One TV show. That was how it. What? Like the original recipe was first ever shown on like television. That's crazy to me. I feel like most of these dishes are kind of like you know uh, Im- immigrants coming from like many many years ago and trying to introduce their food to like a white settlers, <laughs> and then that whole thing happening. But this was like on a TV show. This is crazy. But yeah, no, this is like my big like whoa westernized. Whoa. Asian food, my first exposure. Oh my good lord. What? Yo, yeah, this is my big woe. Like, literally two <laughs> right seconds now. ago. <laughs> what? <laughs> you know, I also found out that, like, tikka, tikka masala is, like, not... That's not, like, a dish that's from, like, India or anything. It's apparently, oh. like, way back in from the UK of, British. like... Yeah, it's a British thing. I mean, this is why I always was so confused when I came here for the first time. But I thought it was a me problem because I'm used to Malaysian Indian food, like roti chanai and everything. That I was just like, oh, I'm just, I don't know real Indian food outside of that. But no, I found out tikka masala is, is not, is a British thing. And I was just like, oh my God, <laughs> this also made my brain go, whoa, so I'm not the problem anymore. Well, yeah, the last, I think last thing was probably like fortune cookies, but I think everyone already knew that. Yeah, everyone, like, I think by yeah. everyone at this point knows that this is just like an America-only um, yeah. thing. The American propaganda. <laughs> Making us think it's a worldwide. <laughs> Making us think it's a worldwide thing, but it's only in America that fortune cookies are a thing. Uh, uh. This is crazy. But damn. Yeah, w- welcome to my little mind-blowing section here. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh. But yeah, I guess that's our, that's our whole journey with like westernized versions of Asian food. All of this stemming way back to one Australian lady opening <laughs> a restaurant in New York City. God damn. Yeah, listeners, let us know what you think of some of these like westernized version of Asian foods. If you had your own epiphany or mind-blowing moment like we did here as well let us know through our social media twitter facebook instagram you know all the places yeah that was our segment on asian foods which were not actually created in asia hopefully we blew your mind a little we always aim to blow your mind a little here on asian pop nation Hello listeners, this is Asian Pop Nation. My name is Tracy and whether or not you're tuning into us on the radio or on our podcast, I hope you're doing okay. If you're listening to us on the radio, you've just heard a song by the band Running Youth. The song is called Dying Wo Yi Ho Wo or Promise Me You'll Stay With Me From Now On. After that, we played a track by a Japanese band Giba. The song is called Hai, which translates to Ash, apparently, according to Google Translate. Speaking of Ash, 
all good things must come to an end. And that includes tonight's instalment of Asian Pop Nation. On tonight's show, we reviewed the recent Twice concert in Melbourne, which was the first stadium show by a K-pop girl group in Australia. We also reviewed some of the movies we watched at the recent Japanese film festival, and also some recent releases by Taemin, Ive, Wavy, and the ex-slash-current P-Nation pop girlies. And lastly, we ended the show with a discussion of diasporic foods. Thank you very much for joining our team tonight of Leisha, Xenia, Lee, Ethan, and myself, Tracy. Tune in to Sin next Tuesday for more Asian Pop Nation. We'll wrap up the show tonight with a song that feels to me very quaint, very cuddly, and very vintage. It's by Korean artist Car the Garden, and the song is called Four Summers. And with that, I wish you all a very good night. <laughs>